Teamwork is indispensable. For example, it doesn't matter how great a quarterback he may be. Uh, whether it's the, probably one of the best of our time, Peyton Manning, just saying that for you know, reality's sake, or whether it's Kirk Cousins, which we have yet to be seen in this monster contract he's got. But it doesn't matter how great a quarterback may be if he doesn't have a receiver that can catch the ball that he throws. It doesn't matter how well a race car driver can drive if his pit crew takes three times longer than his competition does to change a tire and to refuel the car. You see, it takes a team to accomplish anything worth fighting for. It doesn't matter how awesome a chef can cook if he doesn't have a hostess and a waitress to get people seated and to take their orders. The success of the whole is contingent upon everybody on the team doing what they are supposed to be doing. Teamwork is especially necessary in ministry. No one person can do the entire job that God has challenged us to do. Amen? Now, those of you that said amen, what are you doing? I got you, didn't I? What is it that God has asked you to do and to be a part of? We've been talking about for the last several weeks about giving away our faith, looking for those opportunities to share with others what God has done for us, to be a part of the work, to be part of the ministry. And no one person can do that. In building a church, it takes the entire church to build the church. Every one of you are necessary and indispensable to the work of the ministry. And we'll see this all throughout Scripture. But this morning I want you to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-8. through 8. It says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. I find this especially interesting as I was reading through this yesterday. Notice how the text of Scripture begins. What is Apollos? And then he goes on to say, what is Paul? You notice he didn't say, who? Who is Apollos? Or who is Paul? You see, so often in our culture, we have the idea that we find our sense of worth and esteem by what we do. When Jesus Christ says, we are in Him. We are a picture of Christ. We are made after His image, after His likeness. And He says, so what is Apollos? Now who is He? Because it doesn't matter who Apollos is. It's what He did that counts. What is Paul? He says, servants. Look at verse 5. They are servants. Think about this just for a moment. You might be thinking, well, what is a servant? Has God called me to be a servant? Well, we know that to be true, but according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a servant is one who performs duties for the person or home of a master. Now let me ask you a question. Do you and I in Jesus Christ, as Him being our Heavenly Father, as His Holy Spirit living within us, is He our master? Yes or no? Absolutely Yes. He's Kyrios. He's Lord. He's our Master. So the question is, if we are a servant, that means that we are to be performing the duties that our Master has challenged us to perform. So the question we have to ask ourselves 
is are we busy and are we about doing what God has called us to do? What kind of servants were they? Well, Apollos and Paul performed duties for their master. Servants through whom you, he said, servants through whom you believed. In other words, what kind of servants were they? They were servants who were faithful in carrying out what God had called them to do. And the message that they proclaimed was a message that obviously God used to reach those people. So, through the, though the Bible does not tell us the process they used to lead them to believe in God, they obviously had a process that they were using. They were obviously faithful in proclaiming that message so that they could believe. In fact, the second thing I want you to notice from this text is that Paulus and Paul fulfilled their roles. And you see this at the end of verses 5 and into 6. So he says, And each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So the second thing I want you to know is that they fulfilled their roles. And according to the text, each has a role that the Lord has given them. Paul said, I planted. I planted. Do you see the analogy here of planting the seed and watering? He says, I planted, Apollos watered. Now, the idea here is that not everyone will do the same thing. Now, I, I can imagine just for a moment that if I were sitting, uh, standing up here and I said, okay, so-and-so, I want you to come up here and preach this morning. <sighs> um, you ever been put on a spot like that? I said, well, God hasn't gifted me that way, or God hasn't asked me to do that. In the same way, I don't really want to work in the nursery. I mean, I want to throw those kids up in the air, I want to see them laughing, and say, here you go, now walk away. Right? I mean, that's the joy of it. I don't want to work in the nursery just like you don't want to stand up in front of all these people and preach. But, you know, God gives us each a role. And the question, once again, is are you fulfilling the role that God gave you? Say, is it really that important? Yes, it is. Because God says very clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that we are not saved by our works. But if you go on and read in verse 10, it says this, for we are His workmanship, created unto what? Good works. God has for us, as a child of God, to be busy doing the work that He has called us to do. So, according to the text, each has a role that the Lord has given. And can we say it this way? Paul and Apollos were only conduits. They were only channels. They were only middlemen, if you will, God says, do this, they did it. God says, do this, they did it. God says, go here, they went there. God says, do this, they did that. They were just middlemen. And you know what God has called us to be? Middlemen. He speaks to us, and then we do the work that He has challenged us to do. But see, the work doesn't get done if there is a problem with the middleman. We've got to do what God has called us to do. And God gives us each differently, as we found out over the past. But let me make four highlights, four observations from the text thus far. And the first one I want you to see is this. Both Paul and Apollos were busy doing the work. You say, well, how do I know that? Well, look at verse 8. It says, now he who plants and he who waters are one. They were busy doing the work. Say, so is that important? Yes, it's important. It's important that every one of us sees the value and the importance of doing the work that God has called us to do. God may not do the same thing for every one of us, but God wants to use every one of us. 
And let, let me just say, let me back up just for a moment. Um, if you're visiting with us here today and you don't have a Bible, we've got one for you. So if you'll just put your hand in the air as we're going, someone will make sure that you have a Bible. So just, just so you know that, I want to make sure that you have a Bible if you don't have one. But as we go on here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if we look at verse, uh, verse 7 and 8, we find out that they were busy doing the work. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. One planted, one watered. But they were busy doing the work. Question. What is it that God has asked you to do? I've asked that question a thousand times over the last couple of years. What is it that God wants to do through you? You see, God uses people who are willing to be used. And we've said this a hundred times. It's not about how gifted or otherwise you may be. It's not about how skilled you may be as a worker in any field. It's not about the talents that you may or may not have. I'm telling you, growing up, I didn't feel like I had a whole lot of talents. My brother beat me at every little thing that there was that, that could possibly be a competition, except for two things. I pulled his son aside uh, a couple months ago, or a month ago when he was here, and I said, I only beat your dad at two things in life, marriage and children. Everything else he beat me at. Everything else. But see, it's not about skills. It's not about talents. It's not about the lack thereof. It's about, are you willing to let God work through you? I don't have to be a good communicator. I don't have to be the best at remembering everything that there is to say. I don't have to be the best at doing what God calls me to do. I just have to be usable. I have to be willing to let God work through me. And the bottom line is God wants that for every one of us. You have to know that. That you are indispensable to the work that He's called us to. He wants you to be a middleman. But the first observation is that both Paul and Apollos were busy doing the work. And let me just say this according to James. Faith without works is what? Say it again. Faith without works is? So here's what he's saying. If I claim to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, if I claim to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I should want to serve Him. I should want to serve Him in some capacity. I should want God to use me and to work through me in some capacity or another. And I'm thankful that God doesn't do it the same, do it the same way through all of us, right? He uses some people over here and some people over here and some people over there. God works if we're willing to let Him work through us. Number two, Paul and Apollos worked together. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't Apollos doing his thing and Paul doing his thing apart from each other. They had different roles and they were both fulfilling their roles and even though he had this specific role and he had that specific role, they were still doing it together as one. You say, well, is that really important? Yes, it is. Once again, we'll look at it in just a moment, but the bottom line is Neither one of the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Isn't that what he says in verse 7? He says, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is, what's the word? Anything. It wasn't Paul saying, oh, look at me and look what I've accomplished. And it wasn't Paul over here saying, well, look at me and look what I've done. He said, neither one of us are anything. But together we can do something for the Lord. Right? There was no pride. There was no arrogance. There was no, I'm better than you. It was a group of people 
fulfilling their individual tasks, but doing it together so that God's work can get done. That's teamwork. That's a quarterback saying, i gotta, I got to do the best I can to get the ball to that receiver. And it's the receiver saying, i got to do everything I can to catch it. And it's the guys on the front row that are saying, i got to block so that he can get out there. It's everybody doing what they are called to do so that one gets the glory. It's amazing how often in churches across America, somebody wants to have the glory. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Neither one of them had the mindset that they were doing what they were doing for themselves. It wasn't about themselves. It was all for the Lord. You know, think about it this way. When a church gives to a mission, or a mission project, a building plan, or a need in general, we never get up and say, boy, you guys got to know what Joe did today for so-and-so. He gave $3,000 just so that they could do this. Boy, everybody give Georgia... Do we do that? No. We don't do that. It's, look what our church did for the cause of Christ. Because why? We're, what is it? We're one. We're one. So whether you water or he plants or whatever it is that we are doing, it's God who gets the glory because we are doing it as one. Why? Because he gives us all differently. Take your Bibles just for a moment and turn over to Romans chapter 12. Just back a few pages back a few pages Romans chapter 12 I want to read verses 3 through 9 it says for by the grace given to me I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should than he should think instead think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one so what's he saying here wait a minute it's not about you we said all the time it's not about me it's all about him right So don't think about yourself as being so awesome and so great that this church cannot survive without you. God's work will go on without you. But I'd rather it go on with you. So he goes on here and says this. It says, Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching in teaching, if exhorting in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with the cheerfulness. Now, think about this. He says we are all one. We all possess different functions, or fulfill different functions, different roles, but we do it as one governing body. Now, Isn't it amazing that he starts off this chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Let me stop right there for a minute. Some of your translations may say reasonable service. In other words, God says once again, he's reminding us, that he says, I'm urging you as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ, as someone who claims to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, as someone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, I urge you to present your bodies, your life, in service, in worship to God. Then he goes on to say this, do not be conformed to this age. What is that referring to? 
this culture, this world that we live in. Because we're not to live for the things that this world has to offer, right? 1 John 2 reminds us, beginning with verse 15, For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of this Father, but is of the world. And then he goes on to tell us at the end of verse 17 that the world is going to what? Pass away. So he says, don't get caught up living for this culture. Don't get caught up living for this day that we have in front of us. So he says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And then he goes on to say, we are one body doing the work that God has called us to. It's called teamwork. We're here to build the church of Jesus Christ, not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. Turn your Bibles and turn over a few pages to the right again to 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. This is another familiar passage. I'm just going to read a portion of it, beginning with verse 12. We've read it before, so it should be fairly familiar to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and beginning with verse 12, says, For just as the body is one, and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, through though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, whether given... We are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, is it not that for that reason any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Now let me stop right there just for a moment. Look up here just for a moment. It says that God places each and every one of the parts of the body in the body as it pleases him. So that means if you're here and part of the body, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. You have to know that. That God has a reason, He has a role, He has a function for you to perform in the body of Christ. And He says, we all don't function the same. I, I think if I were reading through this, He left a couple of parts out. Some of you are smelly feet. Some of you are armpits. But you know what? Smelly feet and armpits are part of the body. Right? Sometimes those parts need to be cleaned a little bit. Just saying but they're no less part of the body. And God says, fulfill your role. Do your part. He goes on in verse 20, As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. You say, well, I don't really know what I can do in the body. I really don't know that I have a role. I really don't know that God wants to use me. Yes, He does. Yes, He does. Every one of you, if you're willing to say, God, use me, He'll give you a role to fulfill. In fact, I believe the role is there. It's a matter of whether or not you want to step into it. There is something for every one of us who wants to be used to do. And He says, verse 23, "...and those parts of the body that we consider less honorable..." We clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. 
Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no, what's the word? Division in the body. I mean, can you imagine if the left hand was fighting with the right hand? I mean, you say, well, it's insane. Yes, it is. And it's insane when the body of Christ fights too. Because it ought not be in the body of Christ. Amen? Just, just make sure that's out there. Verse 26. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That to me, that last verse is just like the culmination of, of God's love that has been interspersed within the body of Christ. Why is it that when a member of our family goes through cancer, we all feel like we have a little part in that? Because we're lifting each other in prayer. And we're encouraging one another. We're trying to support them and bring them before God. And when one hurts, we all hurt. And when one rejoices, we all rejoice. And when we can get to the point where that is part of who we are, that's a great thing. I'm rejoicing with the Solises. God worked there. Isn't that awesome? They're part of the body. Maybe not this local body, but they're part of the body of Christ. And when they rejoice, guess what? We're going to rejoice. And when one of you gets sick and you're suffering and, and we weep with you and we pray with you, we all feel that because we're one in Christ. The bond that we have is because of the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. He says, you're now bond members. You're heirs through, through Jesus Christ. Or part of that family, so to speak. I love that. There's no greater organism than the body of Christ. And when it functions well, much is accomplished. God gets the glory, not individuals. And the cause of Christ goes forward. So we see several things that happen here, just these highlights here, these observations. The first thing is, is that they were servants. Second thing is that they fulfilled their roles. Number three, there will be a reward for their faithful service based on their labor. We say, where do you get that? Well, we get that in verse 8. So back in our text in 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 8, it says this, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. I've heard people say, well, there's no rewards in heaven. I don't know how much clearer this gets. There is a reward for doing the faithful work that God has called you to do. I think the passage is crystal clear. However, let me say this. I don't believe it's a first place trophy. I hated that growing up. But guess what? It says something. Somebody strove. They worked hard. They put in the discipline. And they won. But in the end, first place trophies don't mean anything. I got a box few of them, a box full of them from wrestling growing up. Don't mean nothing 20 years later. Nobody remembers a thing. What you think you once were, it doesn't matter. First place trophies mean nothing in the end. What means something in the end is that when God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that's what means something. Very clearly, it's not a first place trophy. Rather, I believe it's a reward given for faithful labor in God's field. 
all of you can earn this if you'll be faithful in your labor for the Lord. All of us can earn that reward. That reward of faithfulness and obedience. So number three, there'll be a reward. Number four, and I specifically kept this to last. Sometimes we work as though it all depends on us. It's not about you. You do need to be obedient. You need to fulfill the role that God has given to you. You need to be faithful and carrying on, not just for a spurt. It's not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon, this race that we're in. But ultimately, it's God who gives the growth, number four. God gives the growth. Or some of your translations may say increase. It's God who does the work. We're going to be faithful. Whether my job is to plant, whether my job is to water, whether it's my job to pick the fruit, it's God who does it all. Right? It's God who does that. It's not me. It's God. I'm just doing my role. I'm just fulfilling my function. Consider Philippians 1.6. I love how the Christian Standard Bible puts this in this translation. It's one of the only ones that does this. It says, I am sure of this. Let me ask you a question. What are you sure of? What are you sure of? He says, I'm sure of this. And then he goes on and explains that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He who starts the work in you will finish it. Isn't that awesome? That God is going to finish what he starts in you. And he says, I'm going to do it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, it's not about whether or not you think you have the ability to do it. We can say that over and over and over and over and over until we're blue in the face. It's God who wants to work through you. And if you'll let Him do that, He will. So how do I know that? Scripture is full of it. But one of my favorite verses I learned early on, in fact, one of the very first messages I ever preached when God called me to preach was out of Second Chronicles on the life of King Asa. But I remember very clearly, I believe it's in 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to do one thing, to show himself strong in him whose heart is perfect towards him. And the word perfect means mature. It has the idea that if I will be mature enough to let God work through me, he says, I'll show myself strong through you. I don't have to be good. I don't have to be eloquent. I don't have to be skilled. I don't have to be talented. I have to be usable and willing to let God do something through me. So we've been talking for the last eight weeks about giving away our faith and sharing it with the world that needs to... Folks, we have the greatest hope that's been ever given. I mean, think about that for a moment. Just think about that. We have the hope of heaven. Have you shared that hope with anyone? Have you shared that hope with anyone? And then there's other areas of ministry that edify the church, that build up the church. We joke about the nursery. You need to have a Ph.D. in nursery psychology to work down there sometimes. No, you just need to be willing. Have some life, a little bit of energy, some patience. But are you willing to take a step into that role? Say, God, use me. Or how about in children's church or kids' own worship? I'm willing to teach for a few months, take a turn. Or how about adult Bible study? Oh, no, Pastor Mike's got that. Pastor Jim's got that. And we're all covered there. 
maybe God wants you to take a step forward and teach a series. What was that? Oh, Jim, Jim. Yeah, that's, see, I think they're willing to share a little bit. Maybe God has for you to teach and to take a step forward. Or how about we care? Maybe God wants you to pass out some flowers to some ladies and encourage them. Maybe God wants you to walk through a neighborhood and say, hey, we're just passing through. Is there anything we can pray for? Maybe God has for you to take out a little we care card and put it with your tip the next time you go to a restaurant. Leave it on the table. How about discipleship? Maybe God wants you to disciple someone who hasn't been in the faith as long as you have. Maybe God wants you to systematically take them through the Bible and through the Word and help them get grounded in the Word. There's lots of things that you can do to carry on the work. There's a lot of planting that some of you could be doing. There's a lot of watering that some of you could be doing. Knowing that God controls the outcome because He's the one that gives the growth. He gives the increase. But the whole concept of sharing our faith. We've been talking about that. Everyone is needed. It's teamwork. You are needed. But the question is, are you going to let God work through you? Are you willing to say, God, use me? I don't know where some of you are at in this whole process of your journey with the Lord. But I know this. It doesn't matter where you're at. You can always take another step, right? Has anyone arrived yet? I mean, you're, you're there? I don't see any hands. My hand's not up either. We all have some room to grow. We can all take another step in our faith, in the journey that we're on in our walking with the Lord. So the question is, will you let God do something through you? Apollos planted, Paul watered, or vice versa, they had a role. They fulfilled their role. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what my role is. Let me just say this. If you're willing to take some steps, rather than not taking a step because you don't know, take a step and see if God might just redirect it a little bit. You've heard the phrase, I'd rather try and fail than to not try at all. How about just taking the step to try how about saying, God, use me and see what he might do? How about saying, God, open the door for a great conversation with somebody and see what might happen? How about saying, God, I got all these things to do, but if you put somebody in my path that I need to stop and talk to, I'll stop and talk to them. God, how about if you just guide my steps and guide my conversations? God, I'll try to be used. I'll make the effort. God will do his work if you'll let him work through you. It's amazing how often we can say, well, so-and-so will take care of that. That's their department. It always sounds good on paper, right? Faith without works is dead. Your works don't save you, but if you truly know Jesus Christ, you should want to serve him. It's that simple. Ask God to work through you. Ask God to do something with your life. 
I've heard people say, well, man, life is just so busy. I just have so much to do. And you know, every stage of life has its busyness. Every stage of life does. I can remember when we were younger and our kids were little, it seemed like you couldn't take your eye off them. They just make man, you couldn't even turn around because they're going to get into something. I mean, I mean, David, we didn't dare. I mean, if there was two, two minutes of, of silence with David, by three there was, there was problems. I mean, jumping on toothpaste and dumping out baby powder all over the bathroom. I mean, it's time-consuming. Later, when the kids are older, I'll serve a little more faithfully. Then the kids get a little bit older, and they have this activity and this activity and this activity, and they don't have their driver's license yet, so you've got to run them everywhere. When the kids just get a little bit, when they get out of the house, they'll get a little more faithful. Then they get out of the house, and you're picking up more hours because you're, you've been at your job for a while, and you need to go over here, and boss has expectations. When does it stop? When does later come? We always have the idea that I'll do something more later. And before you know it, those of you that have been around the block for a couple, to- couple weeks, all of a sudden you turn around and you say, man, where did the years go? Anybody ever felt that way? Where did the years go? I remember my 20s. Grandmas and grandpas come up to me and just say, well, you better enjoy the time with your kids. They're going to be gone before you know it. And I'm thinking, this is eternal. And I turn around and I say, where did the time go? crazy and it seems like it picks up speed with time doesn't it the older you get the faster it goes by and you just wonder where did it go I've heard a thousand people say already this summer where did the summer go we're already in August when does later come in our commitment in serving the Lord when I learn just a few more verses when I get just a little bit stronger more stronger in my faith when does later come? What about right now? What about right now? Saying, God, I, I really don't know what it is. But I'll, I'll, I'll take that step. None of us, and you've heard me say it a hundred times, there are two things that none of us can know. None of us knows when we're going to die. I mean, God knows, but we don't. We don't get up in the morning and say, well, according to the schedule of death and life, I have about another three years and 12, 12, or 11 months and 12 days. We don't have that. We don't know when we're going to die. And secondly, we don't know when Christ may come. And then the whole timeline of eternity, you're just a little speck. But that speck called life is what God gives you to serve him. That's what he gives you. What will you do with it? Because later might not come. We only have today. We do the best we can today. Not next week, not next year, today. How does God want to use you today? Will you join the team? Let God use you. Be a part of what God is doing. You know, I don't have to look very far to see where God is at work. He's at work right here. I'm excited about that. I'm just telling you, God has been meeting needs. That's what he does. And he doesn't always do it the way I would 
think it needs to be done. He does it in ways I couldn't imagine. But that's what he does. He hears us. He knows what's going on. And he's at work. So it's not a matter of me finding what I should do. Look to see where God is at work and say, can I join in? How does God want to use you?